Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Island College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. The Ion College Basketball Podcast is presented by Jersey Mike's. Jersey Mike's, a sub above. Chip Patterson is here with me. He's at home in North Carolina. I'm in a hotel room in New York City. If you're watching on YouTube, smash the like button like you're Brandon Davies. You have consent. And if you haven't yet subscribed to the CBS Sports College Basketball YouTube channel, please do that while you're here. Okay, let's get into it. The 68-team bracket for the 2023 NCAA tournament. It was released Sunday night exclusively on CBS America's most watched network. It's the network of stars. As always, there are four regions. As always, we're dedicating separate episodes of the Ion College Basketball Podcast to all four regions. So keep an eye out for those. This episode is on the Midwest region where Houston is the number one seed. Texas is the two seed. Xavier is the three seed. Indiana is the four seed. Worth noting, all four of those schools are dealing with notable injuries in some form houston's leading scorer marcus sasser didn't play in the aac tournament title game against memphis because of a strained growing texas third leading scorer timmy allen he hasn't played since march 4th because of a lower leg injury xavier's third leading scorer zach Fremantle is done for the season indiana's third leading scorer xavier johnson done for the season now Xavier and Indiana the schools have been playing without Fremantle and Johnson for a while so they've adjusted but the Sasser and Allen situations at Houston and Texas are more day-to-day things Chip Patterson first question is the Midwest region the region of injuries oh it is the infirmary the upper <laughs> right hand corner can be called the infirmary region and let's add uh Norshad Omier like one of the best post defenders for Miami who also twisted his ankle uh, in the tournament loss to Duke. Now it's an ankle injury. I'm not, I don't know how much, you know, I should assign to that, but if, if he's limited or if he's not able to play, that's not good, especially going up against a dynamic uh, player like Tucker DeVries, who from that four position for Drake, Miami could be one and done here if there's an impact here. So yeah, this is a a huge spot where you've got to take, not only the information that you know about these injuries, but also your understanding of the depth of these teams and the way that the coaches have to adjust because whoever makes it to the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight in the Midwest Regional is going to have to do it having overcome some kind of adversity. 
We um, talked to Jim Laranaga, the Miami coach, on our March Madness Bracket Breakdown show on CBS Sports Network on Sunday night. And one of the questions he was asked is, what concerns you most heading into this first round game? And he said, one of my players <laughs> left uh, our most recent game with an injury. And, you know, he's he's day to day. We don't we don't know how that's going to be by the time it's time for us to step on the court. So that is certainly Larinaga's um, uh, biggest concern as well, which means the top five seeds in this region are either have been missing notable players or are possibly going to miss notable players. Again, Xavier and Indiana sort of used to it at this point, but the Houston thing is big. The Texas thing is big. The Miami thing is big. If you go through uh, your your bracket in the Midwest region and you start looking at, at first-round matchups, do you have one that stands out above others to you? Texas A&M, Penn State. I mean, just an absolute banger of a 7-10 game. Um, you know, obviously Penn State so hot right now and their style of play where they're going to shoot a bunch of threes and they're going to make you chase all their shooters. Texas A&M, you know, wants to be really solid in the paint. It, you would think that from a schematic standpoint that if Penn State gets hot, Texas A&M is in trouble. And I know that is not good news for Gary Parish and his guarantee of uh, multiple wins for Buzz Williams in this tournament. But, you know, if Texas A&M is going to try to you know, defend the paint and make you shoot over them, Penn State's the kind of team that will more than happily shoot over them. And if they start dropping buckets, then it's going to get difficult. On the other hand, I mean, Texas A&M has been really, really good over the last five to six weeks. And if they are able to defend those uh, Penn State shooters, they probably have a more talented roster than Penn State. So the the, the way that that game plays out, you know, either team could go on and win against Texas in the second round. There's a couple spots in this bracket where the matchup is really intriguing, not just for the way the two teams line up against each other, but what it could mean for the winner and the opportunities that might lie ahead. So in this particular bracket, I would say Texas A&M, uh, Penn State is one that stands out. And then the other one would be uh, if it's Iowa State Pitt, I think I'm more interested than Iowa State, Mississippi State, because Iowa State, Mississippi State is the Spider-Man meme. It's just Iowa State's better at all of the like dirty defense, you know, get just enough offensively. But if it's Pitt, a grown man team that has a little bit more offensive ability than Mississippi State, things could get a little bit dicey for the Cyclones who offensively over the last like I think of the last seven or eight games for Iowa State. Four of them have been some of the worst performances from an offensive efficiency standpoint, like home against Oklahoma, uh, road game against, I think it was West Virginia, could be wrong, but point being that Iowa State offensively can go really cold. Against Mississippi State, it won't matter. Against Pittsburgh, I think it could matter. And so the 7-10 and then 6-11, if it's Iowa State Pitt, gets really interesting just for, we know TJ Otzelberger can go on a deep run or because of the offensive limitations, they could get bounced in the first round. On May 23rd... I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie <laughs> dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+. Plus. 
And Iowa State, by the way, another team that lost a notable player in recent weeks. He was dismissed from the program, Caleb Grill, but still, um, that's somebody they used most of, most of the season that isn't available now. That um, that Mississippi State Pitt game is a great, or at least an interesting first four games. I'm looking forward to that. The winner plays itself into uh, the Midwest region. Um, I'm with you. Texas A&M Penn State is my favorite first round game in the Midwest and and one of my favorite first round games because it's two teams playing well heading into this event. Texas A&M is 10 and 2 in its past 12. Penn State is 8 and 2 in its past 10. Penn State in that stretch got wins over Indiana, Illinois, Maryland, A&M, these 10 and this 10 and 2 record in the fin- in the uh, last 12 games, got wins over Alabama, Tennessee, Arkansas, Auburn. Texas A&M is among the teams, along with Florida Atlantic, and if you listen to Sunday night's uh, bracket breakdown show of the Ion College Basketball Podcast, you've already heard me talk about this for 10 minutes, so I'll be quicker this time. But I think Texas A&M, Florida Atlantic are two underseeded teams. For our purposes in this region, we'll focus on the Aggies. They started 6-5 and five with losses to Wofford and Murray State. Um, which is obviously terrible. You know, you, you should never be a power conference team six and five in your first 11. And taking two losses to sub 200 net teams is going to be a real bang on your resume. But since the loss to Wofford, that was December 20th. If you go to December 21st, the day after, and run the data at barttorvik.com, Texas AM from December 21st through today, which is nearly three months, three month sample size is the eighth best team in the country, according to BartTorvik.com. So this team, I thought, should have been seeded closer to 4-5 range than a 7 seed. But either way, it is a team that I did pick to go deep into this into this bracket. And it's a team I've got getting past Penn State. But Jalen Pickett is terrific for the Nittany Lions, and they've been terrific down the stretch. And, and that's going to be a... I think, competitive first-round game, regardless of of who wins it. I do want to circle back to the most notable injury in this region, and that's because it's for the number one seed. It's the AAC Player of the Year. It's a legitimate NBA prospect in, in Marcus Sasser. For people who aren't familiar, in the semifinals of the AAC tournament, he collapsed on the court. It has been described as a growing injury, a strain growing. He did go through pregame stuff on Sunday before Houston played Memphis in the AAC title game, but he did not play. And Kelvin Sampson said afterwards he was never going to play in that game. I, I think most people understand it to be just a error on the side of caution type of thing. But how concerned, Chip, should Houston fans be about Marcus Sasser's injury? Extremely concerned. Soft tissue injuries are very tough to figure out, and they can linger. And even worse than that, they could be re-aggravated. That if he gets the clear to go, he goes through warm-ups, he gets out there, and in the heat of competition, he makes a move to try to play winning basketball and re-aggravates that groin injury. Sometimes these soft tissue injury, these soft tissue injuries, you are able to play through. You don't re-aggravate them. Sometimes, like uh, in the football side of things, Ohio State wide receiver Jackson Smith and Jigba, one of the top wide receivers in the NFL draft class, only played about two and a half games for a Buckeyes team dealing with a hamstring issue that lasted the entire season. So they should be extremely, extremely concerned because being the number one seed in this region, 
eyeing a final four that is based in Houston and given the success of this team, I mean, we, we had to fill out that cbsports.com. Who are your uh, top seeds and list them in order going into selection Sunday. I made the argument for Houston. I just said outside of a Sunday visit from Aaron McKee and temple, what has this team done that has not been exquisite? Like every, everything in the list of results, everything in the computer says that this has been a team that has done everything you want it to do. Obviously, they had another loss to Memphis, and that uh, apparently uh, might have played a role in them not being the overall number one seed. So, yeah, for everything that they've accomplished over the last three years, for everything that they've accomplished this season, to not have Marcus Sasser for the games that will decide how the season ends, the potential of that is just heartbreaking for a Houston fan. So how concerned? Very. They're going to get through Northern Kentucky without needing Marcus Sasser to win. Iowa-Auburn? I don't know. Depends on which Iowa shows up and if I, that Iowa is even able to get past Auburn. Uh, Auburn's you know guard pressure defensively could very much require Marcus Sasser, but anything beyond the second round for Houston to hit its ceiling, they need Sasser in the lineup. Would you be tempted, if you're Kelvin Sampson, even if Marcus Sasser is cleared to play on Thursday night, would you be tempted to hold him out of that game against Northern Kentucky and just give him a couple of more days without true basketball activities to make sure he's closer to 100% than he otherwise would be? 100%. I would, that would be the plan. Like When I meet with right. my medical staff, I would say, let's... You know, have him if he's clear, then let's practice with him. If he's cleared, let's let him go through the rhythms of the of the process. But we're we're it's a break glass in case of emergency situation because I know that the team, even without Marcus Sasser, should be able to just go squeeze northern Kentucky into submission. You mentioned um, if Houston wins, it will play either Iowa or Auburn in Birmingham, Alabama, meaning they could be playing Auburn as a nine seed in Birmingham, Alabama. I just fundamentally don't think, I know that doesn't violate any bracket principle because if it did, it wouldn't be a part of the bracket. But I think that should be a bracketing principle that your one seed shouldn't be at risk at playing a de facto road game in the second round. Playing Auburn in Birmingham puts Houston at a disadvantage. It bothers me. Does it bother you? No. I, I think it's a wrinkle of the tournament. The same way that there's teams that aren't good who get good seeds and teams that are good that get bad seeds. I understand the frustration with the fairness of it, but it also is such a chaotic tournament that often when we look up at the end of it, things have mostly sorted themselves out. Then I, I consider them addition, not, you know, the, the people use the feature bug saying, I don't go that far, but I think it is, it is yet another layer of imperfection in what is an imperfect turn single elimination tournament between college basketball teams and 40 minute games. We have in, in some form at least mentioned Houston, Northern Kentucky, Iowa, Auburn, Miami, Drake, um, Iowa state against either Mississippi state Pitt, um, the Texas A&M Penn State. I want to ask about Indiana and Kent State. Rob Sinderoff is the Kent State coach. He's a former Indiana assistant. Do you give him and Kent State a realistic chance to maybe, just maybe, upset the Hoosiers in the round of 64? GP, let me tell you about cashing with the flashes. Because in my role for Sportsline on the Early Edge podcast, uh, which you can, you can catch on YouTube at 10 a.m. Uh, every weekday, 
You know, I've been on on Fridays. What does Friday night mean in college basketball? It means you got a lot of action, which means I've been capital D dialed on cashing with the flashes. And this region actually has some of the most profitable teams in the NCAA tournament. Of the seven best teams in the field of 68, in terms of your against the spread record, four of them are here in the Midwest region. Pitt has the best against the spread winning percentage of anybody in the NCAA tournament field. Uh, Texas A&M is at three. Kennesaw State is at four. And Kent State is at seven. Kent State, 20 11 and one against the spread. Their overall straight up margin of victory, 10.9 points per game. And they've been beating the spread by more than a possession, 2.4 points per game. Kent State plays terrific team defense. And while Trace Jackson Davis is going to be a problem, I think that they are so dialed into their principles that they're going to be able to create a scheme to limit what he's able to do. I think they can frustrate Jalen Hood Shafino. I do give Kent State a chance to be able to go and pull an upset. And, you know, there's going to be so much chaos in the afternoon here in this Albany um, you know, region. You got you start off with the St. Mary's VCU game. You follow that up with UConn-Iona, you know, Patino against UConn, all those things that I just think that this second wave could be a little bit funky. We could have potential for two double-digit seeds to win in the same session uh, here, here, here with Miami Drake. We already mentioned the Miami injury, and I think that Kent State is a really good team and definitely good enough to knock down, knock off Indiana. Houston is the one seed in the Midwest region. Texas is the two seed in the uh, Midwest region. Obviously, the story there is Rodney Terry. He has coached the, Long- the Longhorns to a second place finish in the Big Twelve, coached them to a Big Twelve tournament title. Um, is on some level coaching for his job, although most recent information suggests that Texas is leaning toward having a proper coaching search that leads them to hiring somebody other than Rodney Terry. But as people have, have said throughout these past few months, what if he goes to a Final Four? What if he goes to a national championship game? What if he wins it all, which Texas is clearly capable of doing? Should Rodney Terry's success in this tournament or lack thereof be directly tied to whether he is Texas's full-time head coach or not? Yes, but it should be a line. You know, the the conference tournament success should be a line, you know, should be tied to it. The regular season success should be tied to it. The fact that he's gotten a team where the, the buy-in gets used a lot, sometimes recklessly, sometimes wrongly. But think about just the way that Texas plays. They've got like an eight, nine-man rotation. They share a lot. They've been able to uh, really commit themselves on the defensive side of the ball. Like I look at this Texas team, and it looks like a good team. And I have no choice but to give a lot of credit to Rodney Terry for being able to pull this group together and being able to have them playing at such a high level at the most important time of the season, the time when your entire season is going to be judged by how it finishes. So if Rodney Terry guides Texas to a Final Four, it is because of the work that he has already shown you. If Rodney Terry gets bounced by Texas A&M in the second round, fans are certainly going to be much uh, more likely to move on. But I think as an administrator, it would be irresponsible not to at least say, you know, all of this evidence that we have already uh, has to has to lead us to consider Rodney Terry as a as a coach. 
Um, and if you want to do a national search, even if he makes a final four, I don't hate that either, but I do think that he has shown you with his work this season that he should be considered a candidate for the job. I think he should definitely be considered a candidate for the job. I think where I'm perhaps in the minority here is that I think tying his candidacy to how far he goes in an often unpredictable single elimination tournament is a little wild. Now, let me be clear. If he goes to a Final Four, I think he's getting the job. If he right. wins a national championship, I think he's getting the job. I just think that at this point, as an administrator at Texas, it is your job to do what's best moving forward for the University of Texas. Not what's best in this moment, not what's best for you, your current players, but what's best going forward. And frankly, you should have a good idea about whether Rodney Terry is that or not by now. And in, in, and so if you think he's the guy, if you go, man, Rodney Terry took this thing over under less than ideal circumstances, and every day of every week of every month, he has been impressive and showed us both in public and private ways that he is the best man to run this program moving forward, I think you should give him the job, even if he loses in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Now, if he loses in the, I want to make sure I'm, I'm I'm being clear here. If he loses in the first round of the NCAA tournament as a two seed, he ain't getting the job. He ain't, like, the job. I, he ain't getting the job. I'm just saying, if you believe that he's the right guy right now, I would hire him regardless of what happens in this NCAA tournament. Similarly, if I don't believe he's the right guy for the job long-term, that he's not the best guy moving forward, that he is, and I'm not saying this, I'm merely playing these hypotheticals out. If you think he's done a nice job with a team that Chris Beard built and Chris Beard um, morphed into this thing and Chris Beard prepared in the offseason, in the preseason and early in the season, and yeah, he took the reins of that and did, did good, did well. But like a lot of people could do well with this very talented, very experienced team. That doesn't mean he's the right guy to get us the next very talented, very experienced team. If you believe that, even if he wins a national championship, you should not hire him. Now, I know if he wins a national championship, he will get the job. But I just think tying your long-term plans to such a short-term thing, I've never really just understood it. On a, on a, a, a different level, athletic departments do this all the time. They say, you're on the hot seat. They don't say it. They don't verbalize it, but this is where they're at. You're on the hot seat, and if you make the NCAA tournament, you can keep your job. But if you don't make the NCAA tournament, we got to find a new coach. And that could, as we found out with Rutgers or... um, Brad Brownell. uh, If you don't make the NCAA tournament, you're going to be fired. It's like, well, I just beat NC State three times in a season. They're in the NCAA tournament. I'm not, but because of the loss to... Was it um, South Carolina or the, yeah. those early season, like horrible losses? Like now my job is going to be gone. This program that I've built is going to be taken away. I, I, I'm with you on that. Selection yeah. to the NCAA tournament for firing or not firing, I am not with that at all. But I love as an administrator the example that you get. Like if Rodney Terry goes to a Final Four, I've gotten a better exa- firsthand example of what he can do with this program than giving it to, and I'm just reaching out to it because it's North Texas, but like Grant McCasklin, right? Like it, if I, instead of giving it to an up and comer and seeing, let's see what you can do with it, Rodney Terry, whose previous experience is all mid-major, I've seen what he can do with it. And that to me at least does feel like a built-in advantage that should be considered. 
the Clemson thing is a, is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. And, and we'll see what happens with Brad right now. But he's been there 13 years and was among the first four out for the NCAA tournament this season, right? Um, so that, that more or less means if he'd have won, take one loss and flip it into a win, and Clemson's probably in the NCAA tournament. That, that's about where we're at. So you've had a guy for 13 years. You know who he is, what he is, if he's the right guy. If he's not, you should. That's your job. You're really going to tell me that if he'd have won one more game, you would keep him. But because he didn't, now you definitely can't keep him. Like I, I say the same thing about Brett Brown that I would say about Ronnie Terry. Do you think he's the right guy for the job? If so, give him the job. If you don't, I don't care what his accomplishments were or were not this season. And that's ultimately the the decision that Texas is going to have to make. I, and you'll see this in a second, I've got Texas going out pretty early in this NCAA tournament, certainly earlier than the seeds suggest, at which point all of this will likely become a moot point. Uh, Texas will open up its job and um, express appreciation for Rodney Terry and then and then move in a different direction. But where it might get a little complicated for the administration, if they are, in fact, leaning toward not giving him the job, is if he marches this thing deep into the bracket all the way to the Final Four. And then there's, I mean, the public sentiment to hire Rodney Terry is already there. You hear people like Dick Vitale saying it uh, during the broadcast. Um, Chris Walker, yeah, call it the my major, call it the major league theory, like the storyline of major league. She wants to sell the team. And so they want to stink, but they're winning in spite of it. It's like they want to hire somebody else, but Rodney Terry's just going to go in major league, this thing in Houston of all places. And, uh, and, and then all of a sudden win himself the job. Anyway, like the, so the public sentiment's already there. It'll intensify the further Texas goes. Um, and, 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 and that'll be interesting to watch, but ultimately at this point, um, I would think somebody besides Rodney Terry is the coach at Texas next season. That's certainly what people in the industry believe in this moment. But of course, you know, we'll see what happens in this tournament. All right, before we get out of here, um, what's your sweet 16 matchup in, uh, in the Midwest regional, uh, what's your lead eight and who's going to come out of it and represent that region in the final four. Now, this was submitted to the great Jay Darren Darst on uh, Sunday evening. So this is not me just playing it up because I think you'll get a laugh out of it. But I've got Houston in one of the Kansas City hosted Sweet 16 matchups going up against the very first university ever to be named after a hip hop star. I've got Tucker DeVries getting on a heater. And again, I've got Kent State winning too. So it's like a 12-13 second round gets a little bit crazy. But I I liked watching. He's like, he's a 6-7 stretch four wing type player. He's hit some big shots and big moments for Drake. Uh, His dad is the coach. So give me, I've got Drake against Houston. I've got Houston winning that game. In the other uh, matchup, I've got did we not talk about Xavier at all outside of Fremantle? I've got Xavier and Texas, and I've got Texas uh, beating Xavier and making it to the Elite Eight. And then I've got Houston and Texas playing in the Elite Eight, at which point I have Rodney Terry and the Longhorns yeah. going to the Final Four. That'd be terrific. Um, I, I, I wouldn't mind seeing that. Like I've known Rodney since he was an assistant at Texas a million years ago. So I have enjoyed watching him uh, – watching him do well um, under these less than ideal circumstances. The problem, of course, when you're filling out a bracket is if you've been doing this long enough, you're going to have to eliminate some people you are friendly with at some point. So I hope nobody takes it personally, but I've got, I've got Texas A&M beating Texas 
in the um, second round of, of the NCAA tournament. I've got the Aggies going all the way to the Elite Eight. My Sweet 16 is Houston and Indiana and Xavier and Texas A&M. So, yeah, just real quick on Xavier. Like, Sean Miller, if it goes down this way, getting Xavier to the Sweet 16 in year one, after losing one of his best players midseason, that's an incredible accomplishment, and it is why, um, despite all the controversy that surrounded the program at Arizona that Sean ran, there is no getting around the fact that he's he's one of the best coaches in college basketball. And, um, you know, Arizona's misfortune is is perhaps a blessing for Xavier because they were able to rehire a guy who has returned their program to a prominent place. Um, and isn't that a Jekyll as quickly Hyde team, Like hmm? Xavier, when you think about all of Xavier's performances, it's a Jekyll Hyde team. Like they are capable of incredible things. They smashed Creighton. And in the words of the great Gary Parrish, they beat their brains in. And <laughs> I also saw that team like lose to DePaul and Butler. Right. And I just, I don't know, man. Xavier's a wild, wild going going out for a night with Xavier could end up <laughs> in a lot of different ways. <laughs> and we all have friends like that. We yes, all have friends exactly. like that. Uh, not not so much anymore. You weed them out the older you get. But we all at one point had friends like that where, boy, I don't know. This could be the best night of my life or the worst night of my life. We don't we do we, we could end up at the best party ever or in jail. You don't really know how this one's gonna go. So uh, you're yeah, been a, like Sean Miller. Either way, <laughs> <laughs> Xavier's been a little all over the place. Still, I've got him in the Sweet Sixteen. So Houston, Indiana, Xavier, A and M. I've got Houston and Texas A and M playing in the Elite Eight, and then I've got Houston beating Texas A&M as a one-seed advancing to the Final Four. Spoiler alert, I also have Houston winning the national championship. As I've said many times in many places in recent days, to win a national championship, these aren't rules, but like largely you look back at the history of national champions in men's basketball, what you're going to find is, um, if not all of these things, certainly um, most of these things. You need a great coach. You need great guards. You need non-freshmen who are meaningful players. And you need multiple NBA-level guys. And Houston has all of that. Kelvin Sampson is obviously a great coach. Four of the top five scores at Houston are non-freshmen. So they got experience and great coach. Jamal Shedd, Marcus Sasser, that's your backcourt. They've got great guards. And Jarius Walker is a projected top 10 pick. Marcus Saster, in my mind, a projected first-round draft pick. So they got multiple future NBA guys. I just think Houston is best equipped more than any team in the country to win six games and cut nets on that first Monday night in April. But the Marcus Sasser growing injury does complicate things. And so... If we find out he's just never going to be the same the rest of the season, then then I'd probably lean toward moving off of Houston to win the national championship. But going into this thing, I'm going to assume he's going to be good enough to go, and and I've got I've got Houston making the Final Four and then winning two more games once they get there. Well, that's a that's a Midwest regional preview in the books. If you haven't caught the other ones yet. Make sure to check them out. West Regional Preview, South Regional Preview, East Regional Preview. They'll all be uh, there for you either right now or very soon. 
in the Ion College Basketball Twitter feed and on the YouTube channel. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Huck. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you guys once again for listening, watching the Ion College Basketball Podcast. If you're not subscribed, go do that. Anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, Apple, Spotify. Uh, there's more of us than there are of them. That needs to be reflected in the comments over at Apple. If you're not subscribed to the YouTube channel, please do that. And we will talk to you again real soon. Till then, bye-bye.